Unchained. That's what we're looking at. We started last week. We're continuing this morning and just trying to understand and live in that moment of being unchained from whatever is holding us back, from whatever the struggle may be, from whatever may be hindering, interfering, or stopping us from serving the Lord in the way that he has called us to. Last week, we looked at how to break free. This morning, we're looking at a specific area, and that is breaking free from sin. It's actually possible, contrary to some popular belief, to break free from sin. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me. New Testament, that's on the left side. The book of Romans, chapter 6 and chapter 7. Two passages we're going to look at. Romans 6, verses 1 through 11, and Romans 7, verses 15 through 25. This is, um, there's way too much in these verses to unpack all of it this morning. So I encourage you to do your own the rest of this week. But we're going to get started, at least this morning, on breaking free from sin. Romans chapter 6, beginning of verse 1 says, What then shall we say? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. Time out. There is no way for you to put a strong enough emphasis at the beginning of that verse. When the question came, this is the Apostle Paul wrote it, writing through God's inspiration to the church in Rome, to the Roman Christians. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Absolutely not. Not a chance. Under no circumstances. You can keep going on and still not have it say it strong enough. To understand that it is not intended just because God loves to forgive that we should love to sin. Now, early on, I thought that was a pretty good deal. Early on in church and hearing how much God loved to forgive and how much I love to sin. I thought this is a pretty good deal. I'm just going to hook up with God here and I'll keep sinning and he can keep forgiving and we are both going to be so happy. And then I read Romans 6. And I now understand that that's not the intention of God in his grace. That's not the intention of God through his forgiveness. So I needed to say that just in case any of you were stuck where I was for a while. By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of of life. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know 
(laughs) We know that our old self, our old man, the old being B.C., before Christ. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. For the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Fast forward to chapter 7 verse 15. See if you identify with any of this. Because on the first blush on hearing, living free from sin, some of you may have had these thoughts that the Apostle Paul tells us here. Romans 7, beginning of verse 15. I do not understand my own action. Pause. Anybody relate? For I do not understand... My own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The answer is thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. What a wretched man I am, but thanks be to God. We can live free from sin. Not that we escape it, that it is no longer around us, and that there is no temptation. Jesus was tempted just like we are. Temptation is not the issue. The issue is, do I yield and do I live in it? Or do I yield to Christ and live above it? Being free, to break free from sin, for that to happen, something has to break to be free from sin or something has to break to continue to live in sin. Something has to break for you to be free from sin, excuse me, or something has to break for you to continue in sin. 
either the chains and habits that are binding you need to break or your relationship with Christ will be broken. You can't continue in both. To drag the chains of sin around with us while saying we are following Christ is not possible. That's why Paul said, by no means. This can only happen through Christ because of his Holy Spirit that he has provided to break the chains and he'll do it. You don't have to break the chains. That's Satan's lie and that's one thing that drags us down. We keep going, I can't do it. You are right. <laughs> you can't. Let him. But he won't do it unless you ask him. He won't do it unless you invite him to. He won't force it on you. You must invite him to this. But if you don't, you continue to drag it around. And then you're following sin instead of Christ. And there are many people who look at this and this idea of a holy life, this idea of following Christ, and think, how boring. <laughs> I love C.S. Lewis's quote. I've used this for a long time, and someone uh, put it up online again this week. It says, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. See, if following Christ is dull, you're doing it wrong. If following Christ is boring, you ain't doing it right. Lousy English, great theology. We need to understand, how do we break free? To do that, we need to understand the struggle, the chains that we're carrying around with us. That's this passage in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. You see, we can't seem to do what we claim we want to do or what we desire to do. That's the struggle. That's the chains that we're carrying around, dragging around that are holding us down and holding us back. I want to do it. I just can't seem to do it. We identify this easily in many areas in our life. We ignore it spiritually. We identify it when it comes to, I'd like to lose a little weight. I just don't want to stop eating the stuff I like to eat. I'd like to weigh less. I just don't want to eat less. I'd like to be in better shape, better condition. I just don't want to do anything to get there. Or I commit to doing it. Do you realize that the highest membership month of every year in all the fitness places is January? Everybody's New Year's resolution, I'm going to do it. And the regulars who attend those gyms don't come to the gym in January because it's all us posers and fakers. But they know we'll burn out and we won't be there in February and that's when they come back. Why? Because too often what we want to do, we can't seem to do. And what we don't want to do, we seem to keep doing. The habits need to be broken. The mindset needs to change. The same thing is true spiritually. Lord, I want to not do this anymore. 
And yet, because it's a habit, we keep doing it and then become discouraged and think there is no way out of it. The struggle is real. The struggle is, I can't seem to avoid my chains. I can't seem to avoid what's holding me back. Whatever it may be, some things are monumental, or at least they seem to be. Other things seem small, and yet they can be just as dangerous. Quite often what breaks us in our relationship with Christ, what keeps us from him, the chains that drag us around are not the big things, but the little ones. It's a man who walked across the United States a number of years ago, and it was followed, a documentary happened, and all kinds of things happened as he walked the entire width of our country. He suffered all kinds of things physically. He got hit by a car twice. He broke a leg once. And on and on it went. And when he finished his journey, the news person who was following and doing the documentary said, were you ever tempted to quit? <laughs> First of all, that's a dumb question. I mean, if you're breathing, you're tempted to quit at times. He said, yeah. Many times. And they said, well, was it when you got hit by the car? No. Was it when you broke your leg? No. Was it going across the Rocky Mountains? No. Well, when were you tempted to quit? Said, I was tempted to quit most often when I got sand in my shoes. Because those little things just kept rubbing and irritating. I knew a broken leg would heal. I knew I would get over the Rockies. I knew the weather was going to change. But I began to wonder if that sand was going to be there forever. Spiritually, that happens, right? It's not usually the huge temptation that hits us in the face. It's the little ones that lead to the big ones. It's that first thought. It's that first word. It's that first action. It's the little thing. It just builds up. The struggle is real. So how do we break free? How do we overcome? We overcome by our choices. We overcome, first of all, by choosing a new life. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, describe choosing that life. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about you are a new creation in Christ. We have to make that choice to choose a new life. Verse 1 of Romans 6, are we to continue to sin? No. A new life, a choice that is made. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free. A new life. It starts with that choice, a choice of a new life, because when you choose that, you have been set free. Set free, released the chains have been broken. You are now untethered, unchained. Which means you need to live free. See, if you've been set free, then you need to live free. Too many of us have been set free and continue to live as if we're chained up. 
Many years ago, they used to train elephants for the circus to keep them so that they wouldn't trample the audience because that was bad for business. They had to train the, the elephants to be able to handle all the people around and, and to stay where they were supposed to stay. What was amazing is in Africa and in India and some of the other places where they would capture these elephants, they would train them to stay where they were supposed to by chaining them, a huge chain, around, I think it was called a banyan tree, which has roots that just spread forever. And no matter how strong that elephant was, no matter how mad that elephant was, they would kick and they would pull and they would keep doing it and they couldn't budge free. And eventually they just gave up. The irony is after that, they began to think that the chain is what was holding them back, not the tree. So as long as that chain was around one of their legs, they assumed they couldn't get away, and then they could be held with one iron stake in the ground. If they would have realized, they could have easily pulled free. But they had begun to believe wrongly that the chain was holding them back. When it no longer was, it was the mindset. They were no longer chained to anything that could hold them back. When you accept Jesus Christ, you no longer have to be held back. Satan makes you focus on the chain and say, see, you can't get away. Jesus says, look at the empty cross. There's nothing holding you back. Live free. If we're going to break free from sin, we must choose this new life. You cannot live free if you don't first choose Christ. Secondly, to break free from sin, you need to choose to live dead to sin. This is such a simple yet complicated concept. Chapter 6, verse 2, when it says, By no means, it says, He who has died to sin, how can he who has died to sin still live in it? Now, I realize that, you know, in deference to all the zombie movies, if you're dead, you're dead. You're not going anywhere. I mean, when the body dies, the body dies. Hollywood makes it seem as if we can get up and keep moving around. But when we're dead, we're dead. And many of us, though our sins have been forgiven, live as if they're still alive and active. And choose not to live in the freedom and in the life God has given us. We are to live dead to sin. Chapter 6, verse 6 says, We know that our old self, just our, our human nature, the, the sin part of us, was crucified with him in order that the body might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Live free. Live dead to sin. In other words, live as if sin has no power over you. No matter how much attention Satan gives to that chain, that chain is nothing compared to what Christ did on the cross and the empty tomb. Live as if you're dead to sin, as if sin has no power in your life because it only does if you allow it to. If you give it that power. What about habits? Habits, the wrong habits need to be broken. We had this discussion this week in, in one setting that habits have gotten a bad rap. 
I mean, we have a lot of habits, most of which are good. It's fairly obvious to me that most of you have a habit of bathing occasionally. I'm really glad. So is the person seated closest to you. Most of us have the habit of brushing our teeth periodically. I'm glad, especially if we get near each other. Most of you have the habit of sometimes washing your clothes or having somebody wash them, and that's a good thing. It's not the habit, it's what is the habit. See, you can change the old habits to new habits. But you have to make that choice. God gives you the power through his Holy Spirit. In other words, you can live victorious. That's an awesome word. It's football season now. I know some of you don't like it or going, isn't it always? But it, it, it's football season. And they always talk about if one team is ahead by enough, right at the end of the game and they have the ball, their offense moves into what they call the victory formation. It's the greatest play in the playbook. It means they no longer have to do anything. They just grab the ball and kneel down because they've already won. Some of you just need to get in your victory formation <laughs> spiritually and realize the battle has already been won. Kneel at the cross and accept the victory. That cross doesn't have anybody on it. Jesus isn't on there. He's not in the tomb because he conquered both. And because of that, we can live free. We can live victoriously. Satan keeps trying to tell us we can't win. Yes, we can. In fact, we are if we're following Christ. He's already given us the victory. Doesn't mean there won't be struggles. Doesn't mean there's no temptation. Doesn't mean we can't fail. It means we don't have to. If we're going to live and break free from sin, we need to choose to be and to live alive in Christ. I see an awful lot of people who claim to be following Christ who look to me like they are the walking dead. I mean, talk about somebody who has no joy or victory. I mean, they just act like you took their favorite toy. Or told them there was cake and then there isn't any. That's cruel, by the way. But we need to know that we can live victorious to live free and alive. If you're alive, live like it. I, I joke when, you know, about the day and somebody says, oh, you're moving around today. I said, yep, got up, went to the mirror, breathed on it, fogged it, said I can keep going today. Because <laughs> as long as I'm still fogging that mirror, there's still something for me to do. And when I'm not, then I get to rejoice for all of eternity. That's a pretty good deal. The Apostle Paul said it well. Let me paraphrase. He said, if they kill me, which they kept, kept threatening to do, he said, I die and go to heaven and get to be with Christ for eternity. That's awesome. 
He said, if they don't kill me, I get to stay here and keep serving him and telling others about Jesus. And that's awesome. So he said, I can't lose. That's true for you and I, if we've chosen life and if we choose to live alive. In other words, this is my sanctification. Not just my justification, being free and forgiven of my sin, but my sanctification to live above it, to live in victory. This requires being possessed and filled entirely by Christ through his Holy Spirit. To be filled with his Spirit, not my fears. To be spilled, filled with the Holy Spirit, not the doubts. Oh, it doesn't mean I don't ever get afraid. doesn't mean I don't ever have doubts. You realize, I mean, one of the apostles, we know him by his nickname, Doubting. Doubting Thomas, and yet he was still one of the apostles of Christ. Doubt doesn't disqualify you. Just don't give in to it. Bring it to Christ. It's literally what Thomas did. He said, until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. And Christ showed up and said, here you go. Now, he also added, how much greater if you wouldn't have had to see it to believe it. But you know what? He needed that, and Christ will provide whatever evidence you need. That is where we can live in holiness above the sin that so easily entangles us. And if I'm going to break free from sin and live free from it and live freely in Christ, then I need to live yielded completely to Christ. Yielded to Christ and his will. His will, not my will. But you know what's even better than that phrase? I'm finally starting to understand this. The better thing than simply saying, I need to be yielded to his will, not mine, is to have his will become my will. Now, I spent way too much time trying to get his will to be mine. In other words, I wanted him to do what I wanted. Can you relate? How often have you won that battle? <laughs> eh. <laughs> not going to happen. So yield to his. And better yet, accept his will as yours. Struggle? We're going to have them. We're still here. We're human. But that's not an excuse to continue to sin. Paul said, by no means. You don't have to keep doing it. We can live free. And that means living completely yielded to Christ and his will. And it's known as total surrender. Now, what's, in, what's interesting is I shouldn't have to use the word total. The definition of surrender means total. If I surrender to you, I can't surrender partially. But we keep trying to do that. Lord, I'll give you this much if I can keep this much. That's not surrender. That's negotiation. That's going to the garage sale and saying, I know you're only asking 25 cents. Will you take 15? Which I always go, Seriously? It's only a quarter. You're going to try to Jew me down from a quarter? I don't do well with garage sales, by the way. Just in case you wondered. So if we do one and you come, Jody won't let me talk to you. 
surrender. We need to surrender to him. And here's what's awesome. Not only is it possible, it's the best way to live. Now, our world teaches us, especially our culture, it is better to do what you want than anything else. Only if what you want is what God wants. See, he has your best interest in mind. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. So why do we keep dragging our chains around thinking that that's the way to live? You don't have to live that way. He's already given the victory. He's already sawed that chain in half, broken those iron bars, those bronze bars, as we read last week in Psalms. So let me ask you, what are you choosing regarding sin? Are you living in victory over sin? Because you can. And the real bottom line question comes down to, are you totally surrendered? Surrendered to him and to his will. You say, Pastor, I don't know for sure what his will is. That's okay. Maybe you've heard this before. Just take the next right step. You don't have to take 10. Take one. And he'll show you the one after that. And the one after that. And the one after that. You know, I've discovered something when I drive at night. I turn my headlights on and it helps me to see better. That's the first thing I've discovered. The other thing is, if I'm here at the church and get in the car after dark and get ready to go home, and I turn the headlights on, I, I can't see my house. Now, if I would live according to the way we sometimes try to live spiritually, I would go, well, then I'm not leaving. Until he shows me my house, I'm not going. You go, well, that's ridiculous. Just start driving. Exactly. He gives me enough light for what I need now. And he'll keep providing it for what I need next. So just take the next step. Whatever it is for you. Father, there's no way to complete this <laughs> today. My prayer all week has been, that you take your words, not mine, yours, and continue to speak to us this week. May you continue to convict where needed and convince where needed so that we then say yes to you and your will. Yes to you filling us completely so that we can live victoriously as you intended. And Lord, for the one who they've been dragging that chain around, whatever it is for so long, it has become their identity. I pray, Lord, that you would show them that you've already provided a way for them to step out of it, to step away from it, if they just say yes to you. Easy? Oh, not usually. Possible? Absolutely. So Lord, in this moment, give courage where it's needed to say, okay, Lord, in this moment, I surrender. 
And may we go from here taking that next step you've called us to in following you in victory, not defeat, in following you in life, not death, in following you not with our will, but for your glorious will. Lord, I pray and plead for these things today. In Jesus' holy name, amen.